I would start with AOTA, American Occupational Therapy Association. And that will tell you kind of the history of OT and all the different areas that you can work in. And then you can do your research there. All right. I'm here with Jen, who is an occupational therapist. I'm really excited to talk with her today because she has a really interesting job that I think many people might not know exactly what it is. Jen, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Jameson. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So let's just jump right in. What exactly does an occupational therapist do? Well, contrary to um, the name, I do not help people find jobs, (laughs) uh, which that gets mistaken for a lot. I work with people who, because of an illness or an injury, are unable to do their day-to-day activities. So um, think about your job as what you do from the moment you get up in the morning to the moment you go to bed at night. So I work with people to help them learn how to get out of bed, get dressed, take care of their things in the bathroom, get in and out of the shower, even look at going back to work, returning to driving. So all of the functional things that you do on your day-to-day basis, I work with people and help them find a way to get back to that again. Perfect. Yeah. So not a career counselor, not somebody (laughs) that helps, you know, people work through issues at their job. It's really mostly dealing with daily tasks and kind of recuperating and being able to just handle daily living. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. How long have you been doing this, Jennifer? Um, For 16 years now. Okay. And what kind of different settings have you worked in before? Has it been in a hospital? Do you do like home health stuff? Kind of talk us through that. Both. Yeah. So um, when I first started, I was in a hospital setting for over 13 years. Okay. Um, And in the past couple of years, I've switched to more of a home-based setting. But the area that I'm in is pretty unique as in um, like, we don't just stay in the person's home. Our role is to get them back out functioning in the community again. So I work with people in their home to help them get independent around their home again. And then what does that look like going back out in the community, be it like getting back to grocery shopping or going to their job to help them figure out how they can make modifications to get back to work again, things like that. Do you mostly work with geriatric patients or elderly patients, or is it kind of a wide range of ages? Um, I am mostly upper adult and geriatric. Um, As an occupational therapist, you can work from the whole gamut of ages, infancy, all the way through geriatrics, um, but I prefer adults and older. Okay. Why, Why do you prefer working with adults? Any particular reason? Um, You know, when I was in OT school, we had a clinic where we worked with kids and I just not where my (laughs) niche was. I love kids. I have one of my own, but at that point in my life, I just, I couldn't do it. Um, I just really prefer to work with the adults and the older adults and just the stories that they have to tell and the wealth of knowledge that I learned from them as well. I bet just really fun. Yeah. Totally different dynamic, but it's good to know that you can work with any age as an occupational therapist. It's not just for people that, you know, have loss of function if they're in their older age, like there can be different, different uses of your services. Yeah, most definitely. So as an OT, I mean, like I said, you can work with infants. They have occupational therapists who specialize working with children who were born prematurely. Huh. 
because they need to learn how to be able to handle touch and they need to learn how to feed with a bottle. And then they work with school-aged children, um, kids who have um, disorders or even just trouble with fine motor coordination because they're having trouble holding their pen and being able to write in school. So it goes through the whole spectrum of life. Yeah. Do you do a lot of like fine motor skills teaching? Is that a big focus? It is. For an occupational therapist, fine motor coordination is is a big thing because, I mean, if you think about it related to different ages and school age, it's important to be able to learn how to hold your pen. For adults, you need that coordination to grasp your utensils when you're eating to be able to fasten your buttons um, like that. Do you give your patients like exercises? How, how exactly, I know it's probably beyond the scope of this podcast, but how exactly do you work with a patient to teach them, let's say fine motor skills or some other thing? Like, is it exercises? Is it So I'll typically start with exercises, but the best way to get back into that is to work on it and to do it. If you need to be able to hold your fork again, the best thing that we can do is to practice using your fork. Gotcha. So you pretty much just put them in that situation that they're trying to overcome or get better at, and then kind of help coaching them through it and just kind of repeat over and over if necessary, or... And then the cool thing about occupational therapy is we have all kinds of tools to adapt and to modify. So if that fork isn't working for you, there's forks with different handle sizes and weighted. Mm. Um, So in the realm of OT, it's pretty creative what other people have come up with and tools and tricks that you can use to help with. Interesting. So let's take a step back here. Do you need a master's degree to be an occupational therapist, bachelor's certifications? Walk us through the education piece of the job. Yeah. Okay. So like I said, I've been at it for a while now and it's changed since I got out of school, Um, but I graduated with a master's degree and then you have to take a national certification exam and pass that before you're allowed to be an occupational therapist. And then um, there's different certifications that different states require. Um, So like in the state of Texas, I have to complete uh, just a pretty basic and easy online test every two years and take continuing education in that time as well to keep up my certification. Um, but there are programs now who um, that are heading towards doctorate degrees as well. Did you get your master's degree in occupational therapy specifically, or was it something else? No, it's a master's in occupational therapy. Okay. Gotcha. Is that required pretty much to be an occupational therapist? It is. Yes. So it's not just pass an exam. It doesn't really matter what master's degree you get. You gotta, it's gotta be specific yeah, to it's, that. Yeah. It's gotta be a little more specific. Gotcha. I know you said it's changed. How was that exam when you took it? Did you have to study a lot and prepare really hard for it? Or did the coursework kind of prepare you for it? What was that like? Um, the coursework did prepare, um, but just because of the time of type of person I am, I did study a lot for it. Um, I think I spent a good three months prior to taking it um, to study for that exam. Did you get a lot of hands-on training during school or did you have to afterwards take an internship and get more experience afterwards? Yeah, no. So part of your degree is um, you do fieldwork um, level courses. So I had to do two one-week fieldwork courses. And then at the very end of schooling, you do two three-month fieldwork level courses. Okay. So with that, you're out of the school setting, you're actually thrown into what you're going to be doing, and you have an occupational therapist who 
is basically over you. So they coach you, they take you through it. And then towards the end of that three month period, they treat you as a peer. So you have your own caseload, you're doing your own documentation. So Jennifer, there's a lot of different routes that you can go in the medical field. You can become a physical therapist. You can become an occupational therapist. You can go more into medicine. What was it about occupational therapy that drew you in? Um, so I think I have a pretty unique story on that one. Um, when I was 13 years old, um, I grew up in the West Texas area. My dad worked in the oil and gas field and he was burned in an oil field accident. Wow. Um, but he made a complete recovery. He's great now, but I spent that summer going with him to his therapy session. Hmm. So I watched firsthand what he had to go through and how the therapist worked with him. Um, and his burns were mostly on his arms and his hands. So he was unable to do anything for himself for a long time. So just watching that process, uh, really just picked it up for me right there. And I knew that's exactly the field that I wanted to go into. So, you know, it was pretty amazing how something really, um, scary and tragic that happened to our family. God used to turn around to give me the career that I have now. I love it. That's good. I'm glad to hear that he made a, a good recovery from that as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's perfectly 100% now. So it's awesome. So this next question, I feel like is kind of the main focus of the show. It's really talking about your typical day. And I know every day is probably looks a little bit different, but just really give us a feel for what does the job feel like day in, day out? What tasks are you working on? How often are you working with clients? Are you doing a lot of paperwork, documentation? Kind of just walk us through that, spend as much time as you want. Yeah. So um, I really never go into my day going, I am going to accomplish X, Y, and Z because I really want to leave it up to the patient. You know, what did we work on previously that um, has helped you that maybe you didn't get, or what did you discover even last night as you were at home that this came up and this was problematic. So I really try to start my day really open-minded. Um, I really want to be client focused what can I do to help you accomplish what you want to get done today? So in the setting that I'm in right now, I see my patients for about six hours a week. So I will see them about three times a week for a couple of hours at a time. Okay. Um, and so in that time, it's, you know, I always leave people with things that they need to work on while I'm not there because in reality, a therapist is only with a patient for a short amount of time and they have to have the motivation and the drive for that remainder of the time, if we really want to see a good difference. So, you know, I will go in that day and sometimes they'll be like, I would really love to cook dinner tonight for my family. Okay. Well, what does that entail? We need to figure out what ingredients we need. We need to plan a trip to the grocery store. We need to go to the grocery store and maneuver, be able to figure out how to maneuver around the store to get the supplies that we need. And then we need to go home and figure out what we need to do for you to safely be able to cook that. Um, and some days it's as simple as I was having trouble getting into my bathroom. So can we problem solve an easier and safer way for me to do that? So like I said, each day is completely different, which is one thing that I really love about my job. I will never do the same thing day in and day out. Um, I'm nice. not a sit behind a desk person. I think I would go crazy if I did that. Um, but there's just so much variety in every single day. You, and some days you just walk in and you never know what you're going to expect. Yeah, definitely. About how many patients would you see in a day? Zero, one, three Five. I know you're in a see, home health setting now, so it's probably longer. I see two to three patients a day. Okay. Um, 
I'm at a point in my life right now where I have um, kids that I need to worry about as well and school and all of that. So this has just really been able to give me the flexibility to be able to do what I love during the day and then be able to spend time with the people that I love. So yeah, a medical job that doesn't take over your life. That's pretty rare. <laughs> I would right, imagine. Yeah. I, I don't do 12 hour shifts. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. When you worked in a hospital, I would imagine you saw probably more patients in a day. Can you talk to that? Yeah. So uh, when I was in the hospital setting, um, I worked in two different areas. Um, we had an inpatient rehab unit that I worked on for a while, which is where once people are in the hospital before they're allowed to go home, they do inpatient rehab which is where people will get three to four hours of therapy in an eight hour day. And then they typically stay in that setting for a couple of weeks up to a couple, couple of months, just depending really on what insurance says um, that they allow them to do. So when I was in that setting, I would see about four to five patients in a day. And then I've also been on the acute care setting, which is where you see the people when they initially get into the hospital. And in that setting, you can see anywhere from 12 to 16 patients. Um, so those, those sessions are a little bit shorter and a little bit more down and dirty. And those days are really busy, but really fun too. When you did those sessions, were, was it usually a lot of one-on-one? -on -one? Were there nurses around? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, it's typically one-on-one. -on -one. Um, nurses are around if you need help. But um, in the acute care phase, when they're first in the hospital, the big thing is to figure out what's the next step. Are they going to be able to go home? Are they going to need continued help? prior to them going home. And if they're going home, is their family around that you need to do training with to teach them how they can help their loved ones continue to get better? Gotcha. Do a lot of people start out in a hospital setting? It seems like the more people I'm talking to in this field, that seems like that might be the, the entry path in, and then maybe some other routes open up to you. Do you think that that's pretty common? I think it is um, mostly because I think that's where you learn the most. Hmm. You will see a wide variety there in the hospital. And also in the hospital setting, you have a pretty good team that you work with, which really helped me learn and grow as a, ther as a brand new therapist, just to have so many other people um, of different skill sets and that had been in the field a lot longer than me just to teach me and coach me and um, just really help me grow in my profession. That's good. So you mentioned in one of your other answers, insurance, dealing with insurance, <laughs> you know, obviously you're always fighting for the patient, trying to get them the treatment that they need. Can you talk to the insurance aspect of this? Because I know that sometimes that takes up more of the job than maybe people realize when they first start out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I fortunately don't have to deal with insurance um, like one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. The thing that I always have to be aware of in the back of my mind is my note writing has to reflect what we're doing and it has to show the need to continue. Because at the end of the day, it's not another therapist that's reading what I wrote. It's most likely a nurse, um, you know, someone of that nature. So my documentation always has to be clear and concise so that they know what we're doing, what we're working towards and why we need to continue. Do you feel like that documentation is a challenge for you to be able to like, quote unquote, prove that somebody needs more treatment? Yeah, most definitely it can be. I will say um, the way they teach you to do it in school and the way you have to do it in the real world is completely different. Um, I know that's true for a lot of aspects. Um, school kind of gives you the gold standard. And then when you're out in the real world, it's, you know, they want the bare minimum because no one wants to read through your five pages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
yeah, school, school ruined me for writing. I thought I was such a great writer, but it, I just learned how to write really long, pointless essays and the real world <laughs> values concise writing that is clear and to the point. Yep, so, concise and to the point. You got it. Yes. Yes. So yeah, little tip for everybody out there, adjust your writing style once you enter the workforce. But for your professors, make sure you do it the way they want you to. So you'll yep. pass your class. That's exactly right. It's two different skill sets. So, <laughs> so we, we kind of talked a little bit earlier, but I'd like to just kind of put a button on it to hone in on the distinction between physical therapy and occupational therapy. Are you, as an occupational therapist, kind of like a subset of physical therapy or is it really its own discipline? It's really its own discipline. Um, you will see a lot of crossover, but it really is its own discipline. Um, kind of the way I like to tell people, um, a physical therapist will help you walk around the house. The occupational therapist will make sure that when you get up out of bed, you can get yourself dressed to be able to walk around your house. Gotcha. And then one more follow-up question on just like a typical day and like what that might look like. Yeah. You said you see between two to three clients a day. So how, about how many hours do you think that would be about like four, six, and then the rest of it spent on like documentation? What does that look like? Yeah. So I typically spend about two hours with each one of my patients. Okay. Um, and then yeah, documentation at the end of the day, um, which takes up, uh, 30 minutes to an hour, just depending on what, what has to get done. Gotcha. Jennifer, what's the most challenging part of the job to you? And then on the flip side, what's the best part of the job? Um, I would say challenging is just when you get to that point with someone and you know, they have the potential and the want to, but the brain is just not wanting to recover. Um, mm. kind of when we, when we've reached that point, that's when, <clears throat> you know, it's just really, it's disheartening to know that you've done all that you can do and that they've done all that they can do. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean end of the road. It might just be end of the road at that point. Um, the brain is amazing and has amazing capabilities to heal itself, but sometimes it's just a really long drawn out process. And, you know, again, then we look at the insurance side of it and they say, well, we've kind of been doing the same thing for about a month. So is this really necessary and still warranted? Um, so I would say that's probably the most challenging, but the most rewarding is when you start with someone they're really low level families having to do everything for them. And then when you leave, leave them, they are doing things back on their own. Again, they're doing things they never thought that they would be able to do again. They're back to living their life again. That's just really so fun. How much of the neurological and like brain stuff do you take care of? Or do you pay attention to like, did you take a lot of coursework and like how the brain is communicating with the rest of the body or what's your focus, I guess. Yeah. So in school, you get some of the, well, a lot of the basics of it. You do a lot of neurological studies in school, but then once I got out of school and really realized that um, the stroke population and the neurological brain injury population was really what I loved. That's the um, continuing education courses. I really started focusing on, um, like I said, as a therapist, you have to take continuing education hours every year to keep your license up. Um, so that was really the area Area that I leaned on. So over my 16 plus years, I've taken a lot of neurological courses just to continue to learn because science is amazing and always coming up with new discoveries and new treatment tools. Um, so that's the great thing about the education too, is that you never stop learning. What do you wish that you knew about the job or the industry when you were first starting out? 
<laughs> you know, I think um, I was young and on fire and wanted to change the world. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, not everyone wants to be changed. <laughs> um, and just having to learn to deal with that, just the different personalities. Some people, some people just get stuck in their ways and that's okay. You just have to work with what you have. Um, yep. But, you know, I was, I was ready to take on the world and not all of the world was ready for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was about to say you do, you work with what you got. I know I've had a lot of public facing jobs before and, you know, uh, like I used to work in a library and we would have oftentimes, you know, a lot of elderly people come in that you develop a relationship with and they're very set in their ways. And uh, you, you learn a lot about people and how their views on the world. And sometimes when you're young and passionate, you know, you want to be as helpful as possible and help them out. And they're, they're just, they're set. They're good the way that they are. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You learn that you're like, okay, I can only help as much as people want to be helped sometimes. Yes. Yes. That is, that's definitely true. Yep. All right. Who do you think would be a really good fit for a career in occupational therapy? And on the flip side, who might think that they're a good fit and find out, you know what, this is not for me. I don't like this. So you have to be a people person and you have to be wanting and willing to help people because I mean, that's it. You have to have a servant's heart to be able to do this. And teamwork is a really, really big thing too. I work really closely with my team of physical therapists and speech therapists. And just me by myself, I'm not ever going to be able to get the job done as good as it can be if I don't collaborate with my other peers. Mm -hmm. Because the, you know, you have to look at the person as a whole. It's not just a piece. Like it's not just the arm that I need to work on. It's the entire person. Um, so someone who thinks they're a great team player, someone who loves people and loves to help people and they're willing to get down and dirty in some of the family dynamics that you have to deal with. Yeah. Um, definitely someone who who should look into occupational therapy. I'll say it's the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. I come home at the end of the day, just really grateful for my job and get up in the morning and I'm ready to go again. That's good. What about somebody who's a awesome people person, really compassionate, wants to help, is totally fine with all of those dynamics dealing with difficult families, but maybe isn't as strong academically? How, how difficult was the schooling? And it, do you think that that's a real barrier to some people? Or is it something where if you, you really put your mind to it, you probably can do it? You know, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. Definitely. You just have to be willing to put forth the effort to do it. That's good. When people leave the field, Jennifer, why do you think that they leave? Do they get promoted into something else? Do they find a different niche that they like better? Or do they get fed up with the industry? Or is it pretty uncommon to see people leave once they're in the position? The only people that I have known to leave the field retired or moved into a management position. That is really all that I've ever known that's left. That's good. So that bodes well for job satisfaction and people really Mm -hmm. feeling like, hey, yeah, this is once they're in it, they are at least enjoying it enough to not leave. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's good. That's good. Do you think people take on a lot of debt to get the necessary degrees or is it, is it comparable to med school or is it a lot less? I know it's, it's probably less, changed. It's less than med school. Um, I wasn't near as in debt as some of the doctors who came out. So I will say that. Um, but good, my, it took me three years to complete my undergraduate and then three years for my master's. So that was six, six years of debt there. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. Where'd you go to school? Texas tech. Okay. Gotcha. I have a lot of friends that went. That's good. 
if you weren't doing occupational therapy, Jennifer, would you be doing something else instead? What would that be maybe? Oh, Jameson. Um, like I said, I knew that this was what I wanted to do when I was 12 and I never really had a backup plan. Like I signed on my initial papers when I applied to college that that was the career plan that I wanted and I never wavered. So I don't, I really have no idea what I would be doing. That's good. Again, that just shows, I think, how good of a career it really is. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, something I wanted to bring up that kind of ties into that is I was doing just a little bit of brief research into like job growth. And it seems like all the things that I was reading, there's faster than average job growth in this in this particular field. And it's not something that I think a lot of people know. I asked several of my friends in preparation for this interview, hey, do you know what occupational therapy is? And they didn't know what it was, or they had some idea of what it was. They thought it was maybe something like physical physical therapy, or they thought it was career counseling, or they just didn't know what it was at all. So it's kind of nice to know that, Hey, there's this, there's this job out there that's growing, that helps people that, you know, you don't have to go to school for 20 years to, you know, and, and massive amounts of debt and pays decently well. Can you actually speak to the income portion of things? I know obviously things have changed probably since you started, but do you have a a general idea of somebody who's just starting out around the range that they might make and then middle career and then later on? Can you just talk to like the compensation piece of the job? Yeah. So I think starting out now, new grads will earn around 55 to 65 a year. Okay. And then I think the median range now is about 75 to 85, just mid range. Um, And that, you know, that's a full time 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. It is, it seems like it is the kind of job that if you want to, you can eventually maybe do it part time. Yes. And that's good. Is it a lot of women that tend to work in this occupation or are there, are there men that work in there? Cause so far I've mostly just seen women myself. Yeah. So I actually, when I was in OT school, I had three guys in my class, Um, but the majority of them went on. Well, yeah, two of the three of them went on to specialize in hand therapy. So that's a whole another subset of occupational therapists is just the people who focus only on hand injuries, um, which takes a whole nother test to pass. Um, and those guys are really smart. Hmm. So you mentioned hand therapy. Are there a lot of different routes within it that you can go? Can you kind of give us an idea of what those might be? Yeah. So as an occupational therapist, you know, like I said, there's a whole spectrum of ages um, and you can specialize in pediatrics, only working with kids. You can specialize in geriatrics. Um, You can specialize as a neuro person who only works with strokes and brain injuries. And then you can um, become a certified hand therapist, which um, with that you have to do, there's, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but there's so many hours that you have to work under the direction of a certified hand therapist. And then they have their own additional tests that they have to pass from that. Gotcha. I just have two more questions for you, Jennifer. Sure. We've, been, we've been doing great. Do you have any funny or interesting on the job stories? I know HIPAA can, obviously you wouldn't want to call anybody out specifically, but I would imagine working with people all day long, there might be some, some interesting story or heartwarming or funny story. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I had a family, um, we're still in contact. They still keep up with me and let me know how they're doing, but he was really into playing golf and through his injury, his dominant right side, 
um, was really weak. And so through a lot of work, we got it stronger. And one day he just wanted to practice with his golf club. So we pulled out a golf club and a wiffle ball and we set it up inside. He didn't want to go outside. I can't remember if it was too cold or rainy that day. And um, surprising to his wife and I, he whacked that ball through the house. It ricocheted off a mirror. Nothing broke, um, but it, it chipped the tile. In, <laughs> um, and it was just kind of a funny joke from then on out. Every time they looked at the tile, oh, yeah, there's Jennifer and her bright idea to swing a golf club in the house. <laughs> I love so, it. As long as they're in that house, they will always think of me at their chips tile. Keep it as a memento. I love it. Right. <laughs> so last question for you, Jennifer. What's the best practical advice you would give to somebody who wants to do what you do? Do you have any resources, websites? How would you set somebody up for success? Yeah, definitely. So um, if it's something that you want to really research and figure out, I would start with AOTA, American Occupational Therapy Association. And that will tell you kind of the history of OT and all the different areas that you can work in. And then you can do your research there. And one of the things that I did, even when I was in high school, and I know things have changed now because of COVID, but I just called up the local hospital where I was and said, hey, this is something that I think I want to do. Is there someone that I can shadow and just follow around? So if you can find a therapist who will allow you to just follow them around for a couple of days, just to see what a day is like in their shoes, um, just to get a better feel for, for what it looks like, I would say start there. That's awesome. Yeah. I know COVID has kind of thrown a wrench in some of those things. Do you yeah. think it might be an easier route if somebody targeted like a private company? Like I know you work for a home health company. There might be different restrictions if you're dealing with maybe a smaller organization. Would that be more possible? I would think so. Yeah. Larger corporations have a lot more rules. Yeah. Well, lawyers have to get involved because they've got to protect from lawsuits. So it's understandable, but it is unfortunate that it is one bad person always seems to break the rules and then ruin it for the rest of us. Right. That's right. (laughs) Well, Jennifer, this has been awesome. I learned so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm really excited for our listeners to hear this one. Awesome. Jameson, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe and I'll catch you next time. 